IB Talk, the global insurance industry podcast presented by Insurance Business. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Insurance Business's own global and weekly podcast, IB Talk. I'm the managing editor of Insurance Business, Paul Lucas, and today we're going to delve into an area of insurance that we have yet to touch on in this podcast, uh, that being the delegated authority market. I imagine the bulk of our listeners will be well educated on what the sector is, but for the sake of those new to the industry, I'm going to give you a definition here direct from the Lloyds Market Association. It states that a delegated authority relationship is formed when an insurer permits another party to act on their behalf, uh, whether that's in an underwriting or a claims handling capacity. Of course, where that underwriting authority is delegated, uh, Lloyds refers to those as cover holders. Uh, But over the last few years, there's been a heavy spotlight that's fallen on the cover holder segment with questions arising over the profits that they deliver for their partners. And indeed, the market has undergone significant change. Uh, So where does it sit now? Uh, To help shed some light on the sector, I'm delighted to welcome the Managing Director of Alesco Delegated Authority, Chris Hardcastle. Chris, welcome to IB Talk. Yeah, really great to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, so, Chris, before we deep dive into the sector, um, let's talk a little bit about your background in the industry because uh, you've spent some time with, with some of the biggest brokerages in the world. Uh, you've had more than 15 years with Aon, and of course now you're with Alesco, which is part of Gallagher. Um, tell us a little bit about how you got your start in the industry and, and what it's been like working for two of these legitimate giants. Thanks, thanks, Paul. Um, so my, my 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 career began um, originally at one of the, the the Aon legacy companies, as they were often referred to then, which was Alexander Howden, where I started out on the claims side of the business. Actually, um, uh, legacy claims in turn, which I, I really enjoyed because it gave me a tremendous insight into the product of. Uh, of insurance and reinsurance, which is obviously um, what happens when things when things go wrong. Um, I, I, I think um, it, it, that that learning the industry from that end forwards was a huge benefit to me, and something I definitely encourage other people to do. Make sure you spend plenty of time understanding what happens in the claims world. Um, from there, obviously, during the late nineties, Aon started to acquire heavily. Um, and and and, um, and acquired several other London brokers. My role then ultimately moved up into some more London market and international reinsurance business, and then into also into delegated authority, which which became my area of specialism over years. Um, I had a great time working at Aon's huge company. I've also worked for, as you mentioned, a, a London private independent broker. Um, which I think gave a great contrast. Um, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're very good in their own way at very different things, and it certainly teaches you a lot about different cultures as well, um, and, and, and how different firms operate. But um, I ultimately joined Gallagher in very late 2011. Um, Gallagher does have a tremendous culture, and um, during my time at Gallagher. As people would have seen, Gallagher's footprint outside of the United States has changed quite um, significantly since that time, and, and the business has achieved a very good balance 
between its United States and international operations. So even um, even back at Aon, I, I believe as, as early as about 1993, um, like you said, your specialism was delegated authority business. So, I mean, how did you come to focus on that area? So, so I think um, in, in different broking houses, um, delegated authority is treated in, in different ways. Um, and and um, at that point in time in Aon, I was exposed to the fact that and this is probably after 93, at that point in my career, I was still on the claim side. So later on, as I became exposed to delegated authority, that was initially through um, a, a collection of underwriting agencies which had been acquired by Aon. And that then morphed more into um, uh, independent and private um, cover holders and MGAs. Um, so it, it was really a process of getting into that market seeing how MGAs operated, and then looking at other places to do business, be it other products or, or other territories um, uh, to focus on. Um, so that was really how it, it came about. It was more of an extension of, of the fact that um, Aon had acquired some fairly significant MGA businesses uh, through the 90s, and I was lucky enough to get involved in uh, the, the capacity and uh, management of those um, later on in my career. And, and what advice would you give to somebody, uh, especially, I guess, somebody who's who's new to the industry, who just wants to learn a little bit more about the cover holder market and, and perhaps develop in this area much like you have? So I think that the, the most important thing there is to understand the, the fundamentals of, of delegated authority and particularly the history of it. Um, as you mentioned earlier on, very rightly, the technical definition of delegation and it you know, it, it, it takes different shapes and forms. And, it, and it's also been going on for a very long time. So if you look back historically at delegated authority, a lot of cover holders were once really referred to in Lloyd's as correspondents because they were technically overseas entities looking at local business in far-flung jurisdictions that could underwrite that business on behalf of Lloyd's um, from a distance in a place, and let's you know, be honest, back then we're talking about many, many tens of years ago, maybe even hundreds of years ago, and uh, you know, the world was a much bigger place then because of you know, technology had not developed. So these would have been people empowered and contractually, you know, bound nonetheless, they weren't free to do whatever they wanted to do, but empowered to locally look at certain types of insurance risk, which they would then report back to Lloyd's by mail, then later obviously by fax and telex, and um, later still electronically as we do today. And the way those risks are reported is, is an ever-evolving thing which has got a huge amount of uh, uh, investment around it in technology and development to make that cleaner and better. But back then, that's what it looked like. And I think it's important that people see that history. So how have cover holders and MGAs evolved from there? And, and what do they look like? Because they do take very different shapes and sizes. Not not all cover holders are MGAs. Um, some cover holders are financial institutions or affinity groups. Um, and some are true technical underwriting MGAs. Um, we like to look at it uh, on a basis that some underwrite every risk on its own merits as it's presented to them. 
and, and more often than not, we'll refer to them as an NGA. Then where it's a large program for an affinity group, we might call that more program management. Um, in some cases, the, the, the cover holder has a fixed set of rates and policies that they can apply to a, a generic group of risks. And that's, that's more program management. So lots of things to consider. And we'd encourage people to learn about the, you know, the, the underlying basis of how MGAs have evolved over the years, where they came from and what they are today. Beyond that, what's very important is, is certainly to look at the, you know, the, the classes of insurance that, that a given MGA focuses on. Um, it's still, whilst, whilst the business is being underwritten through, through a binding authority or a, a reinsurance contract of some time, it's still vital that the front-end insurance business is properly understood by everybody in the chain with good technical knowledge. So delegated authorities, certainly not different to other classes insurance in that regard, the, 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 the trick to it is always in people being absolutely expert at what they're doing. And I think from there it's about understanding the, the, the changes that are coming in delegated authority, which are very much focused uh, on technology, differentiation, and, and technology in terms of distribution, in terms of analytics, and in terms of underwriting management generally. So, so there's plenty to think about there, but I'd certainly start with uh, uh, the, the evolution of the cover holder and MGA model. It does sound like an incredibly complex area because, like you said, there are so many different facets to it. Uh, you're dealing with, with international markets and so on. Um, can you give us a little bit of an insight as to, to what a sort of a day-to-day -day basis looks like for you? I mean, what are you dealing with? Well, at the moment, we're, we're certainly getting into the thick of a very busy uh, renewal season in a, in a market that's definitely um, uh, turned. There's no question about that. So, so right now, um, we're helping customers work with mar markets and, their, and their insurance companies, Lloyd Syndicates, and their partners to make sure that their renewals are the, uh, absolutely the best they can be and work with the market to look at what next year looks like. Because we're in a very uh, a, a very changeable market that's, that's, that's been quite soft for a significant number of years and that's something we can talk about separately and certainly now flipped to a place where um, rates are increasing, um, terms and conditions are becoming tighter. So, so there's a lot of work that needs to go in because all of these arrangements are partnerships and they absolutely have to be treated as such. So right now we're spending a lot of time with our customers getting that right. On a more usual day-to-day -day basis, we're focused on looking at product development, technological development, certainly analytical development, so that we can help our customers um, remain uh, at the forefront of, of, of their markets uh, and get better and better at looking at ways to distribute more product uh, through electronic and digital means and provide ever greater analytics um, on portfolios. That, of course, involves more technology, um, and more more actuarial input and more modelling. So all very important factors and certainly things that take up a great deal of, um, of my day. Well, let's get into the, the market itself as you touched on it, Chris. Um, 
talk to us a little bit about the sort of the current trends that we're seeing and and, and how we got to this point so so i think i think the 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 current trends that we're seeing are, are really i mean the insurance market is a cyclical thing we all know that um front-end pricing does move around and and sometimes that might be confusing to the buyers of insurance out there but within the market we understand that it's fundamentally about supply and demand um, there was a, a, a very long soft market cycle protracted soft market cycle that, that some would say started around uh, late 2015 early, uh, sorry 2005 or 2006 and went all the way through until around about sometime in 2017 is really where there was a change because I think if you look at the results that were coming out of quite a few insurance entities, if that was Lloyds of London or some uh, particularly European insurance companies, and the, the results had started to become noticeably uh, certainly not adequate, certainly not where those entities would want to be. And that's driven, of course, purely by, you know, continual soft pricing coupled with uh, uh, ever 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 more generous terms and conditions and of course against the backdrop where, where it claims inflation isn't going away uh, natural catastrophes still happen and, 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 and you know risk losses occur you get to a point really in 17 and 18 where there was then obviously quite a significant series of losses particularly hurricanes in the United States very expensive um, events and tragic events um, which really highlighted where market pricing had slipped away too much and we started to see discipline come back into the insurance market around that time people talk about Lloyd's uh, the decile 10 projects really looking at improving every year their bottom 10% of their business to try and bring everything up um, starting to Lloyd's starting to look at business plans more closely, look at uh, underlying pricing, acquisition costs. But it wasn't just Lloyd's that was doing this. What we saw was something that, 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 that really got momentum, which is in international markets, in US markets, specialty insurers, reinsurers, across the piece, um, we were seeing a, a, a uniform approach to... to, 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 to it reintroducing more discipline and um, a, a, a real push for the market to get itself back on a footing where carriers could start to make better profits. So what we've seen there is, is something that's shifted really from uh, in its beginnings, you know, uh, some, some, some fairly dramatic changes which saw a, a set of insurers and, and there were several in, in Europe in, 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 who failed around that time, uh, 2017, 2018, quite notably. Some of them with ratings, some of them not, but, but nonetheless disappearing. And obviously that's the signs of a contracting market. We then saw several Lloyd syndicates start to fall away as well. So quite a, you know, a significant contraction in the market. Um, we also saw from the major hurricanes that, that occurred um, in 2017, 2018, other sources of capital also become constrained, particularly if you look at the collateralized market and um, fund 
capital, ILS type capital, um, suffering from some issues really around its, its money being trapped in contracts that it had written because of those natural disasters. So the flow of capital in the insurance market really, really thinking twice. Um, and, and from there, uh, action being taken year on year to try to, 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 to bring more discipline into the market and, and, um, and, and, and underwrite in a, much, in, a, in, a, in a much more controlled fashion with a real focus moving from top-line growth to bottom-line profitability. And we're in the thick of that market now. Um, I, think, I think that whereas capacity was plentiful, um, rates have become very soft. We've seen Lloyds losing money, and not just on an underwriting basis, but with negative return on capital in 2017 and 2018. And correction starting late 2017, gaining a lot of momentum in 18 and beyond. Um, and that's really now starting to buy, albeit shrouded in the current year of account. The, the impact of those, that discipline and, and corrective action is been hidden quite a lot by what's gone on with, with COVID, um, which obviously brought a lot of unusual, uh, unique loss to market. But um, but we're in the, the, the think of a period now where um, you know, we expect for a, a period of at least 12 to 18 months, quite possibly 24 to 36 months, we'll, we'll remain in a very firm or, or possibly in quite a hard market where um, uh, uh, we should expect to see pricing to continue to gain, pricing increase continue to gain momentum and um, uh, 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 further tightening of, of terms and conditions. You mentioned um, COVID and the, the pandemic there. I want to move on to that with you in, in just a minute. But, but you also referred to um, the various European insurers in particular that, that failed and, and the loss of capacity in the market. Um, do you feel that those days are behind us now, is or do, would you expect further failures in the future? I think, I think, I hope, I certainly hope those days are behind us now. I think um, if some entities out there uh, were, were working on a thinner capital base in a very soft market, I think that's very challenging. So inevitably, as the soft market continued, I think it was very difficult for people to trade. Um, we have seen, obviously, some, some, some even, even as, as recent as last week, some Lloyd's entities being called into question. But we'd like to think that with the processes Lloyd's has got in place, with the conditions that the prevailing market are showing us, which are really very positive for, for, for Lloyd's syndicates and insurance companies, um, then we hope that we won't see any more. But, but it really depends on, um, I guess it depends on their own business plans, their own projection to capital, um, what they're seeing happening, the lines of business in the territories that they are operating in, where the opportunity over the next couple of years should be the best that we've seen for a generation. Um, so, so, so you'd like to think that, 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 that they will not will not see any further failure, but um, I guess it depends on some of the legacy that people are carrying. And if they are in the lines of business that are seeing the, the greatest um, remediation and, and opportunity going forward. So let's let's look at COVID then, because I imagine um, you know, this has added a lot of 
complications to the market. Um, what, what differences has, has this made to you? Well, quite a lot, I think, because we've been, I mean, candidly working with our partners in the market to, to try and, uh, you know, we, there's a significant number of cover holders and MGAs that we work with, um, uh, and, and each one of those is a partnership with, with the market. You know, whether that's a Lloyd's market, whether it's a specialty insurer, and no matter where those companies are based, it's a partnership. So we're doing a lot of work together at the moment to try and say, okay, how do we all position ourselves for what is, candidly, for all of the, the problems that we've had over the past few years with a lack of profitability on the carrier side, the, the prevailing opportunity is absolutely fantastic. And that should be fantastic for cover holders to take advantage of, and MGAs to take advantage of, and for their partners to take advantage of as well. So make some real money then for for for, for their for their carriers and in, in a in a market that offers that opportunity. COVID of course has made it, particularly in the first half of this year, the second quarter notably, it made it very difficult to see the effect of all of the work that had been done to 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 to, to improve pricing. To, 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 to really look at portfolios and make sure that you know uh, everything was optimised as best it could be. So COVID's been a real. We, we've said it. The, the expression we use and we used and we still use is that it's been a big shroud over all of the market's work. And of course, as you've got past um, uh, uh, the summer and people started to announce their second half results. It did become very interesting reading because um, we really wanted to see the impact of that. COVID is a unique claim that's come to market, you know, a unique event that's bringing many claims to market. Unfortunately, that, that, that's come at a time when we should be seeing fruit of everything that's been, all the work that's been done. But if you look at particularly Lloyd's results when they came out for the first half, whilst the COVID claims are real and they are there, the underlying effect became more evident, and there was some positive news in that. So, um, it, uh, you know, it, what it showed us, if you look at Lloyd's first half results, 18.7% was um, attributed to their combined ratio for COVID. And what that meant was on a, if you look at the numbers on a year, like-for-like uh, -like basis, 19 versus 20, um, in that period, in 2019, Lloyd's had posted a 98.8% result, and the same result in 20 was 91.7. Now, these are both ex-COVID numbers, but it shows that ex-COVID has been a significant improvement year on year, because the first half of 20 will still have plenty of um, uh, significant events in it, and um, so the difference is really there about is the underlying pricing in the right place? Is the risk selection pointed at the right areas? Um, you know, are the terms and conditions being reined in a bit um, because the market is moving in that direction? So year on year there, we're, we're, we're looking at you know, a seven-point correction. That's quite good. COVID, however, is putting an extra layer of claims on top of that. So they're making it very difficult to see to see the outcome. Um, obviously, COVID hasn't gone away yet either. So this effect of COVID hiding the underlying improvement that we're looking for 
will continue, and I'm sure we'll see lots of insurers, uh, pretty much every insurer and reinsurer, making sure that they report their results very carefully split between what is COVID and therefore deemed to be fairly unique versus balance of their business. Yeah, I want to uh, look forward with you in a minute and, and, and see what 2021 is shaping up like. But um, just out of interest, because uh, like I said, our, this podcast goes out a- across our audience, uh, which is uh, the US, Canada, UK, Australia, New Zealand and, and, and Asia Pacific. Um, are there some trends that are international or are there nuances that are um, you know linked to individual territories? Absolutely. And you make a very good point. So. So I think I think when we look at the, um, the way the, the way that the market's evolving, depending on the product line and the territory, we've certainly seen some variance. Whilst the overall theme is definitely about the market firming up, becoming quite hard in some areas, there are some 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 nuances in there. So, for example, we saw the market, and you mentioned Asia Pacific. So. Um, in in, in 2017, we saw a big earthquake down in New Zealand that really took the market by surprise. And um, that, in particular, started to drive local um, pricing. Um, so that market in Australia and New Zealand um, really, um, uh, really, I think it was a year earlier, actually. I think I might be wrong on the date. But it really started to drive pricing because it was that type of event that the market was saying, okay, we've been soft for a while, here's a big event, it makes people think twice because other, other, you know, the profits able to, you know, is our pricing and our profits able to withstand these types of events or has it just become too soft? So the trend started there. So particularly for property insurance in Australia and New Zealand, we started to see um, pricing become more favourable for insurers. And that's continued since. So they were quite a long way ahead of the curve. In contrast, in the United States, particularly, um, we saw some of the movement coming in pricing, that is, this time last year. It's certainly not gone down any further. During 19, I think I think the softening market had slowed up, but it started to tip the other way into a firmer market with, with increased pricing um, around about, um, 12 to 15 months ago and in some areas um, you know if a critical more critical catastrophe exposed areas be it if that's critical for wind or earthquake um, it's really moving on quite uh, quite a pace now that pricing uh, increase and, and, and correction from the carrier side is, is being applied quite acutely places like Florida places like Western Canada um, where where, where capacity has been less. We're also seeing a big shift in capacity as well, away away from some of the delegated authority markets. And the reason for that is fundamentally that on the single risk market and the DNF market, whether that's in the UK, if it's in America or Europe or Australasia, um, the, the greatest ring, rate increases are being seen for single risk business not on binding authority business. Now, when people look at how they deploy their capital, that's obviously a very big um, a big consideration for them. People will not move their money out of delegated authority. They will obviously shift some more of it towards the areas that bring the highest returns. So in addition to 
some delegated authority writers having either fallen away or taken much greater control of their portfolios, there are others who are also shifting some capacity away, certainly for the next year, maybe two years, to more single risk business. And that has the effect of uh, further constraining the available delegated authority capacity. Um, but look, that's great for the um, cover holders and, and NGAs who operate in those areas. If they've got the right partnerships in place, if they've been flexible and, and work with their, 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 their risk capital partners closely, I think they'll be really well poised to take advantage of, 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 of the conditions we're seeing. But it's becoming much more difficult to do so. And, and that's because of the, the things we just said. I think in some areas, um, uh, insurance capacity is being shifted away from delegated authority, more into single risk. Um, but um, but yeah, there are differences internationally and by product line. Uh, you know, the market is um, it can be quite varied depending on where you are in the world. So just briefly, Chris, and because I, I think that you've already touched on on quite a lot of um, sort of the outlook for the market going forward. Anyway, but um, can you just quickly summarise for us what you see sort of beyond the January twenty twenty one renewal season? So I think um, I think we'll see a continuation of of of, of the current trend with the the uh, you know the the market very much being in favour of risk capital and insurers generally. Um, there is a lot of talk about a lot of new capital coming to market. Um, people talk about numbers between broadly between seven and eleven billion dollars of new capital coming in. Um, a significant amount of that new capital is there being deployed into existing insurance entities. So um, those ramp-ups are really um, in order to get that capital deployed quickly and efficiently. So maybe some people think that the market cycle might not, might not last for as long as they, as they might otherwise hope. Um, there is still significant capital moving into startups as well, nonetheless. But I don't think any of that money is coming into the market with a view to bringing it down. So I think that whilst um, the market has definitely got much tougher, I think we'll see that um, in 21. I think if the hard market was going to be any given period of time, one year, two years, three years, whichever it was, because of COVID, it's going to be one year longer because whilst the, the, the insurers are seeing a definite improvement in their underlying portfolios ex-COVID, COVID's still there and it's still costing money. So to get financial satisfaction and to return balance sheets to, to, to a position that insurers are happy with, uh, COVID will actually have the effect of protracting the, 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 uh, the current market by at least 12 months, assuming, of course, that COVID only lasts for 12 months and certainly hope it does. Um, but that's a, that's a big factor. So we expect um, a very uh, positive market for insurers. We would say it will be a very positive market for MGOs and cover holders. But of course, like all things, it's about um, how you interact with your partners during that, that time, that period, and if you're able to, to maximize prevailing conditions to your own advantage. And I, I think some people will do a very good job of that. 
Yeah, I think we're all uh, got our fingers crossed that uh, COVID doesn't last much longer. Um, Chris, before we wrap things up, I don't get uh, many chances on this podcast to talk football, but uh, you are a fan of um, Southend United, and, and for our global audience um, outside the UK who who might only be familiar with the um, the Liverpools and the Manchester Uniteds of this world, um, Southport play in Football League Two, which is the fourth tier of English football. Um, they were relegated from the third tier last year. Um, you're not following them for the glory, so why South End? Why well, South End? Yeah, not not. You're right. It's not for the glory. I I grew up in that area. Um, I went along when I was when I was young. They they got me hooked then. It's not fair, is it? Why, you know, um, if only we'd lived closer to Anfield right now, then things might have been different. But no, it's a it's a club I grew up with. Um, it's a community club. I'm a big fan of local sport. If that's football, rugby, or cricket. And um, um, uh, by, by cruel chance, my, my, my home team hasn't been doing very well recently. But, um, but, but you know, hopefully that will turn around. I, I'm, as I say, I'm a big fan of it. I take my, some of my children along. They really enjoy it. Um, at the moment, obviously, we're not there. Given the results, maybe that, maybe that isn't such a bad thing. But um, it's really about the fact that it's my local club, and um, I'm a big, big believer in supporting them. It's brought me, um, it has brought some tears, but it's also brought along quite a lot of joy over the years as well. Yeah, the club's had uh, quite a bit of financial difficulty in recent years, hasn't it? I know there was a, a petition um, mm. to, to wind the club up uh, back in January and in June I believe the players were supposed to be furloughed uh, but refused to accept the move. Um, wh- where does the club sit now? Well, unfortunately, at, at the point that we're recording, firmly at the bottom of the fourth tier of English football, so, so not in a great place, but, but look, let's be positive, hopefully they can turn that around and they've got a very young, because of those financial difficulties, a very young and um, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a very talented squad, but a very experienced one at the moment as well. So maybe that needs a bit of time to click. Um, I, I'm a, I think that, that, that in the football league, in the lower leagues, of, uh, you know, we're, we're lucky in, in, in the UK that we have quite a depth of professional football. You know, there's quite a few leagues, which is unusual, where, where players are full-time professionals. And I think that in those lower leagues, where South End are, for example, um, there has to be a huge emphasis on, on developing young talent. I think those clubs survive on being able to um, discover, nurture, develop talent. Yes, a lot of the time they have to sell it, but of course that's that's also great financially. Um, if you can find good players, develop good players, sell them further up the football league. You don't always want to sell your best players, but, but it, it's financially a, a, a very important part of life. A football club. So, so I'm a big believer in that. I think, I think if Southend, Southend have had a lot of success in recent years with their youth teams, developing players and and and, um, and reaping the rewards for that. I hope they can continue to do that. Certainly, right now, the focus has to be on survival in in League Two, and um, I certainly hope they can pull it off. But um, it, it, it being bottom in November, um, well. It won't be boring to watch the rest of the season, will it? Um, Chris, it's been a pleasure. I, I wish Southend the best of luck for the rest of the season. Um, <laughs> if anybody wants to to reach out to you on the back of this podcast, tell us how they can get hold of you. 
Excellent. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. So, so you can email me, um, Chris underscore hardcastle at alescoda.com. Or they can call me, or they can contact me through LinkedIn. My, my LinkedIn profile also has my, my contact details, as does um, the Alesco uh, website, alescorms.com. Brilliant. Chris, thank you very much again. Um, to everybody who's listening, I hope you've not been uh, too put off by our football talk. Um, we'll be back to insurance next week. Until then, I've been Paul Lucas, and this is IB Talk. Thank you for listening to this episode of IB Talk. Follow us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts for the latest episodes.